to start this morning in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. this passage the other day and it I don't know something about it just hit me so I pulled it out and I put it in my notes and I didn't even really know where I was going to go with it I opened a new note and I put it in there but I feel like God's laid something on my heart today for us that are here Luke chapter 9 verses 18 starting verse 18 says And it came to pass, as they were alone praying, his disciples were with them, and he spake with them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, others say the one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. I'm going to end up going through verse 26, but I wanted to just just pause here and ask the question, who do you say I am, really? Who do you say I am, really? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together today. God, I'm asking you that you guide my word, Lord, that your word would be brought forth. God, that I want to share your message today. Without you, I cannot do anything, but with you, all things are possible. Let your word go forth today, that everyone within the hearing of my voice would get a deeper understanding of who you are and, can, and, and who you can be to them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My message today sits at the intersection of prayer, trust, and faith. Prayer, trust, and faith. There's a lot of overlap between them, but there's also a bit of contrast. I haven't researched this fact myself, but I've heard a, a Jewish man say multiple times that in Hebrew, the word for prayer is a reflexive verb meaning it's something that we do to ourselves. And he says that the Jews believe that when they pray, what they're doing is aligning themselves to God. The word trust is reliance on someone or something, and faith is somehow knowing the unknowable. There's crossover between these words, but I'm trying to draw a mental picture for us of us aligning ourselves with God's will, knowing that everything's going to be okay, and depending on him to do the things that we can't. It's a very simple point, but to illustrate the simplicity of these points, when I got here this morning, I turned our heat down to 65 degrees. Just so that I could ask Peter to turn it back up to 70. (laughs) But Peter got a little ahead of me, and he turned it up as as soon as he got here and realized it was cold. But even when I brought it up right before announcements, we all trusted that Peter knew how to turn the heat up, 
and we all had faith that that furnace was going to kick in, and none of us even gave it a second thought. I gave it a second thought because I was thinking about it. <laughs> but even in that moment where we thought the problem had been solved, and we knew that the problem had already been addressed and was being dealt with, we were still cold and uncomfortable. We were still waiting for the answer to our request. And tying that all in together with where I'm headed with this, is simply put, that God has made many promises to us to take care of things. We can put things in God's hands. We can ask him to take care of things. And we don't always get our answer immediately. And even when we put it in God's hands, it's okay to still hurt. That's normal. But we have to have our faith and confidence that God is going to take care of it in his time. Jesus asked two questions of his disciples in this passage that I read this morning. He said, who does the world say that I am? And who do you say that I am? The world didn't know who Jesus was. Maybe he was an old prophet. Maybe he was a philosopher. Maybe he was that preacher that the king had beheaded. They didn't know. Yeah, he's, he's Jesus, whatever that is. But his disciples knew who he was. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we know who he is. The word Christ means anointed. So when Peter said, you are the Christ of God, Peter was saying that you are the anointed one of God. The Jews had known that a Savior was coming. It had been prophesied before, and God's promises always pull through, but they don't always come in the way we expect. The Jews were waiting for the Savior to come. They're looking for this deliverer to deliver from all their problems, and what they got was a baby. But when God makes a promise, we have to accept him, expect him to fulfill it in his time and in his way. God's promises are seldom fulfilled in the way that we think they will be. So often I look at a situation, I, okay, God, this one's easy. This one's easy, God. You got this one. Just, just take care of it. I see the path. I see what you need to do, God. Just, just go fix it. <laughs> and somehow he likes to take the scenic route. And as we go through the scenic route, it makes us stronger. When you go through the scenic route, we come out the other end going, there's only one explanation for how this got solved. I've mentioned this before, but when you look at the stories in the Bible, you know, little David knocking down a giant, Daniel being a den full of lions, Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace. The reason those stories are so notable is because they challenged the impossible. We look at those stories and we go, there's only one explanation, and that is my God. When God does things the easy way, in our humanity, we can fall back on trusting ourselves. But we have to keep our focus on God, that God is going to fulfill his promises in our life in his way. 
We have to hold to God's promise and not get distracted by what we see with our eyes or feel in our hearts. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Even when we feel alone, he has promised to never leave us. James 4, 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If we draw near to God, if we purify our hearts, and we cleanse our hands, he will draw near to us. Philippians 4, 19, But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The God that created the whole universe will provide for all of our needs. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good for them that love him, and to them we are called according to his purpose. If we're on God's team, and God's our coach, then all things are going to work together for his glory. If you're not on God's team, things are not going to work together for good. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. James 1, 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. If you need wisdom, God has promised it to you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not into thine understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When you put your trust in God, and you put your heart in God, and you lean into God's plan, he will direct your paths and lead you in his perfect plan. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and have you laden, I will give you rest. Many of these promises have a theme. And I want to look at one more promise of God. Psalms 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. When you look at all these scriptures, many of them have a contingency. When you come to God, he comes to you. When you offer to God, he takes care of you. When we align ourselves with God, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. When we set our heart on the things of God, we will never walk away unsatisfied. When we set our heart on the God of the universe, we will never walk away disappointed. He will give us everything that we need. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's not original. I don't know who the first person was that said it, but I like it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Does that settle the, the anguish inside of me when I'm going through something? No. But does it give me peace of mind knowing that he is in control? Yes. We have to keep dying out to that. We have to keep dying out to trusting God that it's not 
according to my will, but according to his will. Not according to my way or my knowledge of the way I see it, but according to the way that he sees it. There was a father whose son was, was having what appears to be seizures, maybe demon-possessed, brought his son to Jesus for a healing. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Sometimes we just don't have enough faith. Sometimes it's hard to believe. And it's okay to, to be a little conflicted. But you have to turn that back over to God. Keep coming back to God. It's easy to say we trust God, but it's a lot harder to do it. It's easy to know that he's going to take care of everything, or to say he's going to take care of everything. When you've got a friend going through something, it's easy to tell them, you know, God's got it, don't worry about it. But when somebody says that to you, it's a little harder to, it's a little harder to, to grasp. Because we're, con we're confined by our limited knowledge. We're confined by our limited perspective. But we have to set our finite thinking aside and understand that God is infinite in his thinking. He reveals himself in his timing. He doesn't do things my way. He doesn't do things on my timetable. Our daily prayer needs to be for God's perfect will. Our hourly prayer needs to be for God's perfect will. Our minute-by-minute -minute prayer needs to be for God's perfect will in our lives. When we walk away from a conversation with somebody and we're frustrated, we need to remind God that we want his perfect will in our lives. We have to keep submitting ourselves. We have to keep fighting our flesh, keep fighting our human understanding and submitting our will to God. We have to keep praying and keep trusting that God sees us through any trial we get ourselves into. And yes, I said we get ourselves into. Because in our limited human thinking, we make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. We've got to keep turning it back over to God. Peter recognized that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prof the fulfillment of the prophecy that had been talked about. People on the fringes thought maybe he's a prophet, come back to life, maybe he's John the Baptist that had been beheaded, who really knows? But only those that are close to Jesus really know who he is to us. Our world thinks he's a vending machine. You put in your prayer, out pops your answer. And then they think that he's broken when it doesn't work. We have to seek to be close to him. We have to seek to know him. We have to put our will in subjection to the king of the universe, the creator of the whole world, the Lord above all lords, the great I am the self-existent one, our healer, our deliverer, our redeemer, our comforter, our salvation. That's my God. There's a proven process of people trying to understand who Jesus is. There's a proving process of people trying to understand who the, who the man Jesus is. But Peter knew that Jesus was the Savior that had been promised to the Jews. He recognized that this was the promise finally being fulfilled. 
He saw that. He answered that. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, And he straightway charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. The Jews have gone through such a trying time and they're waiting for their Savior to come. And, and the disciples are having this revelation that they are with Jesus, their Savior. It's over. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be taken care of. They finally relaxed. They finally got their promise. Everything's all peachy keen. And then Jesus says, I got to go away. Everybody's going to reject me. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to raise again in three days. And that stirred Peter up a little bit. He didn't like that. Jesus tells the disciples he's going to die and be raised again in three days. God's gifts are not for our fleshly gain. God's gifts are there to strengthen us in our ministry and to give glory to him. When God provides for us, it's not for our comfort. It is for us to edify him. It's to become part of our testimony. When God gives us the gifts of the Spirit, it was for the edifying of the church. When God gave us the gift of the Holy Ghost, it was to help us to love God and love people. When God gives us the blessings he pours out on us to protect us, it adds to our testimony. When God gives us healings, we can tell the world about them. When God does stuff for us, it's not for us for fleshly gain. It's not for our fleshly desires. God doesn't pour out his riches on us so we can get rich. God pours it out on us so that we can continue spreading his love. When we go through a trying time, we have to say what Job said. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the very last verse of Job chapter 1 says, And in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. When Job lost everything and went through the biggest trial of his life, he never turns his back on God. He understood that everything is in God's hands. Job understood that we're all just side characters in God's story. God is the main character of this world, and we're all just side characters. Peter didn't fully understand this, though. Matthew 16, 22, this is a story continuing, but, this, but I jumped over to Matthew. So Jesus, so Peter says, you're the anointed one of God. Jesus says, great, I'm glad you realized that. Just so you know, I'm going to get cursed by the world, and I'm going to die. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be afar from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Peter goes from, You're anointed by God, to, No, you don't know what you're talking about. How often do we flip that switch on Jesus? In one minute, we're thanking him for what he's done for us, and the next minute, something goes wrong, we're like, God, you've done messed up. God, are you sure you know what you're doing? I've asked that before, God. Are you sure this is what we're supposed to be doing? Did I miss something here? 
have tied a lot of different things together. But Jesus tells his disciples what is coming. He's preparing them for this crucifixion. He says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life. Everything's going to be okay. And when you fast forward in his ministry, when, when, the, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He pulls out a sword and starts fighting that soldier. Ends up taking his ear off. What if Peter had won that battle? What if Peter had slain all of those soldiers that came to arrest Jesus? How would the story be different? When we try to interfere with what God's trying to do, how would it change the story? If Peter, if Jesus had never been arrested, never been crucified, how would that change the story? How did Peter feel after they arrested Jesus? He's standing there, they came, they arrested Jesus. I can only imagine a feeling of, of letdown, of, of betrayal, of wondering what God was really doing. But Peter was stuck in a human way of thinking. He was stuck seeing things through his human eyes. Jesus had already told Peter what was coming. Jesus had already told Peter what he wanted to do and was going to do. Jesus already laid out the plan. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. And yet, and yet it was still so hard for Peter to grasp that. We can know that God has it, but it's still hard to let go of the pain. It's still hard to let go of the anxiety. Trusting God doesn't make the pain go away. But we can stand assured and have hope that he's working it out. In 1 Peter 1, 19-21, says, But the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter's ending this passage, or, 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 I guess Peter's ending this passage here by saying that you can put your faith and hope in God. After you get through it, it's easy to say that, Peter. We saw what you did. But, but, we can put our faith and hope in God. We can set our hope in God and know that he's going to take care of things according to his plan. If it's not God's will, it's not my will. And it's hard to say that, but if it's not God's will, it's not my will. I've got to get that inside of me. I don't have the reference for the scripture, but then he said unto them, if any man will come unto me, Oh, I do. this is from Luke. This is continuing in Luke. This is Luke 9.23. And he said unto them, If any man will come unto me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Daily we have to remind ourselves that we are all living out God's best story. Taking up our cross, the cross was a symbol of sacrifice. 
It was a symbol of pain, of laying down your life, symbol of death. We have to daily take up our sacrifice and lay it down for Christ. In our humanity, we keep messing up what God wants to do in our lives and the lives of those around us. When we fall out of God's perfect plan, we don't only hurt ourselves, our decisions don't only impact ourselves, but they also can hurt people around us. When you steal from somebody, not only are you hurting yourself, but they lost their property. Murder means somebody loses a loved one. When you lie to somebody, not only do you have that guilt on your conscience, but now you've broken somebody's trust. And those are kind of extreme, but something that's a little more casual is things that we do can be a poor witness to somebody. Can create confusion in a new convert by us stepping out of God's perfect plan. Or we aren't in the right mind to be able to help those around us. Or we don't have a scripture readily available to share when someone is hurting. Daily, hourly, moment by moment, we have to realign ourselves with God's perfect will. We have to lay down our lives. Let's all stand. We have to lay down our lives and take up the desires of Jesus. We have to lay down the way that we think he needs to do it and take up his way of doing it. The devil's game is distraction from God's perfect will. The devil does anything to to mess up what God wants to do. When the devil came to Eve, Eve said, God says we're not supposed to touch this. She aligned herself to God. But the devil said, what will it do for you? As Christians, we have to keep our eyes set on what God wants. But the devil wants us to think about what we want. The devil tries to shift our focus to how does this impact me? And we have to keep our focus on how does this impact God. Take up God's plan for our life. What do we gain if we take up the whole world and lose our own soul? That's verse 25 and 26 of Luke 9. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. God has a perfect plan for my life. God has a perfect plan for your life. And he's reaching out and asking us to submit our desires, to submit our will to what he wants to do in our lives. And so as we go to prayer this morning, I want your prayer to be, God, have your perfect will in my life. And when you pray that prayer, things are going to happen in your life. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But when you get through it, when we get through it and receive God's perfect will, the way the story of Job ends is he got twofold of everything he had before. God wants to take care of us. God wants to flourish us. God wants to prosper us for his glory. God wants to add to our testimony of what he's done in our lives, but we have to submit to his process.
So this morning, I'm opening these altars. If you want to come down and pray and you want to lay your will on the altar, you want to lay your desires, sacrifice your desires on this altar and ask God's will to be fully in your life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together this morning. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. God, I'm asking that you give each of us the strength, that you give each of us the boldness to lay down our desires, to lay down our will and accept your perfect will and your perfect promise in my life. Help me to trust where my trust is weak. Help me to to know that you have everything under control. 